You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm Carlos Noche, and I'm joined by my amazing podcast partner, Lisa Schneer. Lisa, how are you doing today? Doing great, Carlos. Happy to be here. Well, today we've got an interesting topic. Today we're talking about all the noise in modern day selling, including the differences between generations, both on the seller side and the buyer side. And lastly, if we got time, we're also going to be talking about the impact of AI on sales. And to help us out with all these topics today, we have George Storm, a seasoned sales professional who is taking the leap back into SaaS and now the CEO of Break the Box, which is a SaaS platform designed to build the skills of sales professionals. George, thank you for taking the time today and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Awesome. All right, George. So we, we give you a softball to start. So what's something that you are passionate about that those that only know you through business might be surprised to know about you. What most people don't know that only met me through work is that I used to be a musician. I still have a burning passion for music. I used to be in several bands as a teenager, quite involved, tried to get a, a record deal. We toured and we did a lot of things. So I played bass and sang, if you can call that singing, because I was into heavy metal primarily. Awesome. Very cool. And so from the streets of heavy metal <laughs> all the way here to where you are today, tell us a little bit about your background, your story. So I've been in sales for somewhat a bit more than 22 years. I think I've sold virtually everything from credit cards, insurance, real estate, graphic cards, uh, assignments and projects. I did telco, I did events and training, and the last eight to nine years, I'm in SaaS. I was uh, in electronic signatures for quite a while. And with jumping back into the industry, as you said, with looking into training and skill development topics with uh, Break the Box. Well, that's awesome. And before we get into the topic of the day, I see there's a statement on your LinkedIn profile that says, training is dead. <laughs> <laughs> Carlos and I are like, well, guess we got to start doing something else. Talking about controversial topics, right? We're off to a good start. So what I mean by that is that I've been a trainer myself for sales teams. I've built quite a few. I did consultancy for startups and I've seen quite a lot of formats of training. Anything from normal classrooms to company onboarding to corporate training to sales training and since Carlos was talking about the shift of generations, the formats that we have been following are becoming quite problematic today. So attention spans are becoming smaller and smaller. We actually surpassed goldfish now in the newest generations where 8.25, if I remember correctly, versus 9.1 of a goldfish. So our attention span is getting smaller and smaller. And also when it comes to the sales trading, the market is changing a lot too. So there is a, a quite stark disconnect with what is in offer in most cases and what the market or what the people getting trained actually need. So this is what I mean by that. Man, I'm looking this up. Average attention span and how do they measure a freaking goldfish of a human? And George, it's not the first time I've heard that. 
we're talking about the younger generations, right? I'm talking about my youngest daughter, who is nine at the time. So we're talking primarily about younger generations. And if you are around kids of that generation, you don't need the Google research. You will understand. You can keep their attention for around that amount of seconds, and then they're off to something else. The same with their phones and TikTok and these type of formats, right? I was going to relate that back to the scrolling addiction, because when you think about it, you might take not even nine seconds or whatever to read whatever meme or watch a reel or and then you're on to the next one. So it's a shocking stat to hear. But at the same time, I, I get it. It also relates to our addiction to dopamine, right? Where we, I say, especially younger generations were developing and also can see that in myself. And I'm an old man, right? As you can see. I'm pushing 40, but my attention span is also low, on the verge. And now I can say we're probably the same age, actually, George. And yeah, I always say we're on the verge. We're still good. We are getting addicted to dopamine across generations. It's more apparent with younger ones, but I can see it in myself too. So when I do a post on LinkedIn, because I'm quite active there, you do refresh and you look for these dopamine hits, whatever notifications you get on your phone, right? So... There is definitely something there. What keeps us engaged is not the same thing that kept us engaged 5, 10, 15 years ago. So just looked it up. 8.25 seconds for Gen Z, four seconds less than millennials. And I'm a Gen Zer, proud to be. George, so anything you recommend? So like for other people that are trying to create engagement, and by the way, this is not just sales training. Think about it. A presentation, anything like that, anything you recommend, either a modality or, or, you know, or something that we do to try to keep that ascension span as much as possible. We should look at the feedback that we're getting from both research and our customers, right? To see how we can actually keep attention. And talking about generations, there is a bit of resistance usually. It's like, oh, young kids and their phones, right? This is not, this is a fad. It's so weird that they're doing this. And we do the same from the sales perspective to the market. We're kind of resistant to change. The fact of the matter is that attention spans are lower. We can't keep interest for too long. So we need to start condensing content and getting to the point of what we're trying to say. And the people that know me will understand how ironic that is because I usually talk a lot. But condensing content, making our USBs or our points very clear from the beginning and try to adapt to how people consume information. So with that, George, because we do blended learning. And so we use online training. We combine it with live training, either virtually or in person. And then we have a number of micro-learning modules and meetings and reinforcement after that. One of the biggest questions I get is, is it better to do that live training in person or virtually? And I don't have any stats around it. So, well, it's a different experience. So do you have any experience with that? Not to put you on the spot, but what we're talking about with retention, I guess, like attention, but also retention of information. Like, do you think one works better than the other? I will say that it's very dependent on the group of people. But what I've seen when we run trainings on, on a sample of I don't know, 100, 150 people before, the requirement for live attendance while you go younger and younger generations is facing more and more resistance. 
So there is a big shift into personalization. People want to consume information in the format that they want, in the time that they choose. And of course, I won't argue that there are no benefits to live training or in-person training. And there are because there is interaction with the crowd and there is questions and answers and developing of ideas and stuff like that. But when you're looking at that on scale, then you see that it's live attendance is, at least in my experience, has been dropping systematically for quite a few years. I remember I bought quite amazing training platform when I was VP Sales Enablement. There were a lot of companies live on the platform to attend the live trainings. And what ended up happening is that most people attended the first session. And from the second onward, the live attendance dropped a lot. And most people took the courses on demand in their own time later on. So you ended up with very, very big name trainers being live with two, three people. Out of 10, 15 companies with 50, 60 employees per company in these sessions. How much of that do you all think is due to the fact that we have some really crappy training? What I mean by it is how many times, you know, have you seen organizations, oh, we're going to get on this call. We're going to get on this training. Nobody has their video on. Everybody's multitasking. Everybody's on Slack and email. And in reality, folks, I think this is an old problem. It's just gotten bigger. Like you said, George, I look back to one of my favorite books is Five Dysfunctions of a Team. It talks about people having a meeting and everybody getting to the meeting, opening up their laptops and being on all their other stuff. In other words, if Lisa's presenting, I don't have to listen because it's not my department. I'm just going to work on my stuff and take that forward to Slack and everything else that's worth throwing at folks. And it's only become a bigger problem. But I think at the one of the core reasons for it, crappy presenters that do not engage their audience, that just ramble on on a topic versus someone that really engages someone in learning. What do you guys think? I personally, I agree a lot. I think I, I remember I had the disclaimer uh, when I ran training for my previous company. There was a big red sign in the first slide that said, warning, this is an interactive session. You will be put on the spot. So I will call on you during the call to get your opinion or to get your take on things. So I make sure it's a quite blunt way to keep engagement. It's important to set expectations, but I agree with you. Look, we're looking at primarily a lot of platitudes, a lot of big words that don't really mean a lot to the average person. And my personal pet peeve with training is that very rarely there is actionable information. We learn when we get to do something. Or we keep things in mind where we learn, we, we get to do something. If it's purely, all of it is purely theoretical, it creates a big disconnect. There is also a study about that. We, as humans, for better or for worse, we value short-term reward versus long-term reward. So something that is quite vague, that it will improve your career in a two-year horizon versus something that will improve your closing rates or your cold calling rates or your conversion rates tomorrow have very different reception. Great point. And I mean, the whole podcast doesn't have to be on this. It's just a thing I'm probably passionate about. Another aspect of this is I think whoever is delivering it, whoever the adults are in the room, we need to be adults. We need to be leaders. We're doing a training that Lisa and I are part of starting next week. And we literally told the managers is, hey, when we start this thing next week, we're going to tell everyone to turn off Slack and to turn off email because we need them to be present. 
we are trying to break them of what you said earlier, George, an addiction. But it, it is very apparent, especially if you're going, if you're working in a high growth company, right? So things are happening all the time, especially when you're in sales. There is an email, there is a notification, there is an answer. And I think that very few, I've seen very few companies do is culture work when it comes to deep prioritization of tasks. How do we value our time? How do we value our colleagues' time? How do you value the time that the company has invested into doing training with you guys? And really understand that if I leave my notifications off for an hour to invest in my career, the world would not burn. Right. We're not firefighters. No. You mentioned books, Carlos. One of my favorite books is called Deep Work. And it has to do just with this topic, how to manage to keep focus in a very distracted world and pour focus and energy into the tasks that you prioritize within your day. I've heard of that one. I haven't read it yet, but I often will look up the summary, get ChatGPT to give me the, the highlights. But yeah, it's, a, it's one that comes up a lot. So it'd be a good read. So we talked a little bit about generations in the workforce, and now there's more than ever before as far as the span of number of generations. What's your perspective on using and understanding the differences? Like we talked a little bit about your daughter, but like when it's sales professionals and buyers, how do we understand the nuances that they now want us to understand or that we need to understand in order to engage with them? Yes, and I unfortunately don't have a very scientific answer to this. What I know is that when it comes to generations, for instance, I had my first aha moment when I first became a manager. I had a very diverse team when it comes to age groups. And the first thing that I understood after two, three weeks of doing meetings is that, wait, people consume information in dramatically different ways. I have people that have been through the ringer several times that mainly communicate through broad strokes. They look at vision, they look at big picture and where we're going with the strategy. And I also have a lot of people that are somewhere in the middle and they need a lot more detailed information to buy into the process, understand the minutiae a bit more. So I understood that they had like 12 people in my team at the time and I almost have 12 different information processing styles across the team. So I understood very, very fast that talking in the one-to-ones that I did with them, trying to understand how they consume info was uh, very crucial. Because if I adopted one style, most of the information would be lost in the translation, right? And I think the same very much goes with buyers. We approach sales very much like I don't know, shouting in a farmer's market. We go out and shout a USB, like a bland USB to LinkedIn, to marketing channels, to email. And it's very poorly tailored. Actually, AI has, in my opinion, made things worse in that front. And the solution has always been to, to talk to your, either your colleagues, if you're looking at different age groups for training and learning, or talk to your customers. Be very, very curious and try to understand where they get their info. How do they consume information? What data points are important to them? And be adaptable to how the situation and the, and the market sentiment or the um, generational sentiment changes. I also find like, I think some of it goes back to even presentation 101, but thinking through your audience, engaging with them, asking different questions. Like you said earlier, you will be engaged in this conversation because when they don't understand something or it doesn't resonate, it's not on them to tell you. It's on us to find out. 
when we do meetings, a lot of people like, like virtual meetings these days, right? There's less face-to-face. It's expensive. Nobody wants to freaking leave their house and put on regular pants. But that means that when you do do these remote meetings, the video part is critical. And looking at someone's facial expressions and are they engaging? Are they nodding? There's all these nonverbal things that are happening that if you actually pay attention, you can get better communication with. And you can engage with someone when they they have those eyeballs that look like a deer in the headlights. And you go, hey, uh, Joe, you look like you have a question. Did that resonate with you? What did you think? And it really helps to engage people, but you you got to be on. I mean, I was going to say, uh, Lisa, I did a workshop this week and it's been a couple of weeks since I did one. I forgot how exhausting it can really be. It can be. And you're right. The nuanced facial expressions are even, I'll notice now when somebody goes to take a breath, they want to add something in, they stop themselves. And so having the video on, like I would have no idea, then we miss that opportunity to hear their thoughts or answer a question. Just to add to what you said before about most training being quite inadequate, we moved fully remote during COVID, right? So through the lockdowns and things like that, and that sort of stayed there. What I haven't seen a lot of companies do or any trainers mention, for instance, is how do you adapt your meetings from physical meetings to online? Basically, the things that you just got, you guys just described now. Paying attention to facial expressions, making sure that people are engaged. How many meetings have you joined with salespeople where the, the camera is tilted, where you can see through their nostrils or it's, it's on the side. There are kids running around where we need to adapt to formats, right? Instead of saying, say, yeah, it was the old good old days. It was better. We met people and yes, but it is what it is. Now we're meeting primary online. We need to adapt all of that same methodology and skill mastery that you had as a live presenter on-prem to transfer that into video calls, how you can be just as engaging. So hand gestures, making sure that you're framed correctly, that you pay attention to, to the people in the meeting and their, their body language. All of these are important things, but they're very, very rarely either adapted or talked about. Funny you say that because when COVID did hit, and I'll give this as a tip for folks, we literally said, oh, crap, I don't know if this virtual thing is going to work. And we went out and got training on virtual delivery. And we redesigned our entire class. At the core, it's the same content, but how we deliver it changed. And then we did surveys a year or so into it. Is this effective? And we got back surveys and it's as effective, if not more, than it was in person. But it's a different workshop because this year I've gone back and forth. It's a different experience that I'm trying to do on one versus the other. And you're right. There's these nuances. You can't bury your head in the sand. The other little tip I give people is like, no one needs a home office anymore. You need a home studio. I, you know, between lighting in the back, what curtains you have, a sign on your door, you know, the show is on, do not come in. And it's also okay. If your cat's running by and the kids are playing, hey, this is reality. This is the world we live in. Play with it and have fun with it versus, oh, you know, that's not perfect. Nobody's perfect. So just some nuance behind it, because I'm with you, George. I think people haven't gone that extra mile to really embrace, like, this could be a great medium. You don't have to be a talking head. My desk converts to a standing desk when I deliver the workshop because I want the same energy and passion when I do it. And we could do this at our own homes when we engage with folks. Even if you think about prospecting, Lisa, you know, the difference between standing and being energetic on a call versus not. People can tell when you're enthusiastic about what you're selling, and it definitely makes a difference. 
Hey, so George, let me go back one thing before I get into AI, because I, I want to touch AI also before we leave is this whole thing is about breaking through the noise, breaking the box in today's modern day selling. What do you mean by that? So what I mean is that we, most sales professionals are losing their personality when they're communicating with people. We're becoming John Doe, right? A generic message delivered by a generic person, virtually looking most likely the same. There are certain forms of how to communicate, how to present yourself, how to build your personal brand. And there is so much white noise out there, which is, and it, it makes it almost impossible to break through. So what I advise usually people to do is to be more of themselves, whatever it is that you might, you don't need to be like me with like tattoos and earrings and stuff like that. That is from my heavy metal days, right? That is my personality. This is how I present myself. Whatever your personal brand is to really develop and underline this when you're communicating online, you when you were communicating with customers. And what I feel that we lost because I am in this generational switch, almost millennial, but also I, I got to train with a lot of, a lot with the, with the older generations than me. We forget that we're communicating to people, to people that have daily lives that also struggle with the juggling a, a job and the kids' schedules and uh, whatever else is going on in their life, addressing them as a machine that churns out the same message over and over and over and over again perpetrating that myth that, yeah, so sales is a numbers game. If I hit enough people, we will have, we'll get results, right? So I advocate a lot for people keeping their personality and even expanding on it when they communicate and make real actual connections with you, regardless of what you sell or what you promote. If the fit is good and your ICBs are right and your proposition is correct, it will work out. But without that human connection element, we're not going to go far and it's going to be even worse and worse now that we're injecting AI into the mix. I can tell you what I see now. What I see now with how AI is being used is we do more wrong things faster. So the mistakes, specifically with the prompts that most people use, pulling from sort of the general pool of uh, information, general pool of outreach, we get more poorly personalized messages. We produce more of them, so we make more mistakes faster and at scale. This is how I see AI being used at the moment. It's got less misspelled words. Yeah, that is a marginal win. But I had a post on LinkedIn a few weeks ago where I received the same exact message from three different people. Exactly the same, exactly, exactly the same prompt. You uh, Apparently they used the same, the same set of prompts to, to generate it. I got the same message from three different people. And for me, it's a bit ridiculous what passes for personalization nowadays, as an example. But I think if we had a personality problem before, now that we're outsourcing our personal brand and our communication style to tech, to an AI bot, things are going to get even worse, which for me is a great opportunity for people that actually invest in their personal brands and do the adjustments that you talked about before. Those people will have a field day cutting through the noise because we're getting more homogenous as we walk. So George, I, that leads you to a question that I actually got on a podcast that I was a guest on. Next three to five years, is AI going to take over? And then we, we don't need these business development folks. We don't need some of these people because we could just automate it. Or 
is there a role for some of the best out there? Because they do have a brand, a personality that really engages people. I'd love to get your response, George, and, and Lisa, you too. I think that AI, I don't know if the horizon is three to five years. I think we're slightly overestimating the capabilities, at least currently. But in the future, I believe that the more transactional side of sales will get taken over, yes. So most of SMB and mid-segment sales, depending on the product always, but if it's high volume and very transactional, you remember the old days of Teleco. I come from Teleco. It was very, very sales-led before, and it became completely online. But when it comes to the value add of the human touch, right? So I can tell you a story also from Telco and from banking where I worked for quite a while. There was the race of call centers, the automated call centers, right? So everybody switched to call centers, right? Everybody switched to press one for X, press two for Y, right? And that said that it will replace call centers. We will not have employees in that segment anymore. And that lasted one or two years, if I remember correctly. The customer sentiment was like, yeah, this is great for you guys, for your efficiency. I want to talk to a person. So then the companies came back and started charging for what was free before. So customer service used to be free. You have the number and you just call the person. Then you have to be on a premium plan to get to talk to a person. So I think that story in some iteration will repeat again when it comes to AI. I think we will replace certain positions, but I come from enterprise sales, a segment that is wrongly uh, portrayed as being very process oriented. My experience for the last 10 years of doing this is that it's very, very relationship based because in the solutions or in the products or as training is, as an example, or complex technical solutions, you need to build trust and transparency with your counterpart in order to carry through larger projects, right? So for the very best, for the people that are able to be trusted advisors that have a reason for people to buy them, not the product, but themselves, these people will not only, in my opinion, will not only survive, but they will do better than they do today. I would agree with a lot of that, George, especially what you were saying with transactional parts of sales or transactional amounts, like price point is going to drive that, right? I don't want to buy a piece of land or a home online. I definitely want somebody to help me with that. But there are a lot of transactional sales that now the buyer prefers not to speak to a person. So that's going to drive that from the buying side as well as then from the selling side. But uh, But yeah, I agree with a lot of that. I think that I'm very big on talking to people about being authentic and you brought it up as well, like having your personality shine through, not being unprofessional, but being human and people buy from people. Building rapport and trust is not going to go away when it comes to those transactions. So we're still going to need to have someone who can be empathetic. And right now that's something that AI can't do. I think emotional intelligence will always be important. There are these soft skills and culture work that most companies tend to ignore that will have larger and larger impact as we go forward. And you mentioned something about being professional. I always been a big proponent that there is nothing wrong with being yourself. Professional has to do with how you conduct yourself, what your behavior is, not how you present, not what your communication style is, but 
you mentioned something about people not wanting to talk to salespeople. This is exactly the problem. You're talking to the same dude in whatever context you are that will read you a script. They will not ask you. They will read questions for you from a sheet and then ask you to take an next step and, and sort of push you in that direction. This is why people don't want to talk to us. Because it already sounds like they're talking to a machine. It's just that the machine is wastes their time at the same time. So they would much rather talk to a chatbot. Exactly. And I'll just clarify, by professional, I meant don't curse at someone. <laughs> but I see what you mean. It's like you can be yourself. You can conduct yourself professionally. So it's an interesting clarification there. But I think that there's definitely that scripted cookie cutter mindset that came out of call centers because it was a really quick way to onboard people. Here's a script. Go make 100 calls. Then that's what buyers started to expect. But as a person that worked in these boiler rooms, again, I'm quite old and I was in call centers and I, I was in bullpens of the time. The people that did the best in these environments were the people that you would see standing with their headset on, walking and pacing and talking about how they know their buyers' uh, current situations, asking about their kids, knowing a lot of info, being very personal, being very animated when they talk. And then you saw a sea of people hunching over a script. And these were always, 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 always mediocres. So this principle hasn't really changed. This personality does sign through. This is what the, this is the thing that a lot of interactions depend on. If people will remember what you stood for. People will remember how you made them feel much, much longer than anything you say. Well, looking at the time here, George, we ask everybody a couple different questions at the end of these podcasts. As someone who's been a revenue professional for over 20 years, you have been prospected to, yeah, and I'm sure you've got stories on how badly that's happened or badly that's been conducted. But what about the good ones? So you mentioned personality. How could somebody earn some of your attention by with a cold prospecting message? I value questions above all. I value transparency. So if a person messages me and tells me, look, I think we're, you're within the target audience that I have. I really want to know your thoughts about how to approach this or how to approach people like you. Do you mind jumping on a call? I'm very happy to do that. Personally, I don't particularly like people telling me what my problem is or making super, super uh, grounded assumptions like, most people like you have uh, these three problems. What do you think? Do you want to jump on a call? It creates such a disconnect. First of all, they're usually wrong. But to take a step further, if a person looks at my content or looks at what I usually talk about and iterates on that. So based on this conversation we had on that post last week, I wanted to ask you X, Y, Z. For me, it's always about question. It's always about being curious and wanting to learn. And if you, if you want to approach me, if you open like this, I'm always happy to listen. If you want to push information my way, I can go to your website. I don't need you. It's interesting. I think 2023 is the year of the connect and push or connect and pitch. I can't see how many people have reached out to connect with me and their very next message over LinkedIn is, let me tell you how I can sell you my accounting services, or let's have a call to talk about how I can sell you my PR services. I don't know what happened this year. It just seems to be the year of LinkedIn connect and pitch some, some crap. So hopefully people will get the hit. I've been emailing them back saying, thank you for the connect and pitch. It sucks. And it's a great way for you to get blocked. Good luck. 
I would suggest, and I did that when I did consultancy for training, what I did for a while is to contact that person's manager and say, it seems that your team needs training. You guys, we, we should talk. We do that from time to time. We call the CEO or the head of sales and go, your people need help. Don't get me wrong, Carlos. I don't, because I come from the floor too, right? I'm not a career manager or whatever. This is not this person's fault. This is their manager's They're poorly trained. So the reason SDRs connect and pitch is that that's how they're taught to do. And I agree with you, George, but some of these are literally the CEO of a small practice doing it. And that's the ones I love to nail. Acceleration Insights, our last question for the day. What's that one piece of advice, be it business or personal, that you would love to share with our audience so they could be as successful as you? What worked for me is be eternally curious. So wanting to absorb information, to learn, to understand, to be empathetic and to try to understand the person that is sitting on the other end, right? The element that is missing for most professions is we're forgetting, we're looking at stakeholders, we're looking at numbers, we're looking at personas, but we forget that we're talking to people once again. So curiosity and, and empathy are my two tips. And that's what led me through my career too. I was the most bothersome colleague to have because I would be the person tapping everybody's shoulders. So how do you do this? How does this work? How does this work? Uh, and this is how this is how we learn. 100%. Yeah, I used to sit right back to back with the uh, production department and I'd be over there, all the programmers, and I'd be like, teach me about how all this works. And they're like, why do you need to know this? You're in sales. George, great chat today. I cannot thank you enough for joining us. If one of the listeners was interested in connecting with you, is LinkedIn your preferred method? Yes, you will find me on LinkedIn. If you want to talk, I'm happy to talk. If you want to pitch, be prepared to be judged if that's the case. And you can, of course, check out more about what George is doing with Break the Box on your website, I assume? Yes, that is breakthebox.se. Okay, perfect. All right, everyone, that does it for this episode. Please check us out at the b2brevexec.com and share the episode with friends and family, coworkers, your dogs, your cats. You can subscribe to our channel on YouTube and you can also find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, iTunes, everywhere that podcasts exist. And if you like what you hear, please throw us a five-star review on iTunes. I'm Lisa Schneer here with my lovely podcast partner, Carlos Noche. And until next time, we wish you nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.